Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. All right, church, let's get busy, right? Remember what we covered the last couple of weeks, okay? We began in chapter 6, and here's what we learned. Here's what we discovered. Jesus was about to what? He was about uh, to miraculously feed fifteen to 20,000 people, right? Well, the Bible only says 5,000. It was 5,000 men, but we can, guys, we can collectively agree that it's about ten to 15,000 people. Now, if you recall, the day begins in sorrow, Jesus had just got the news that, that his cousin, John the Baptist, was, was, was basically killed. He was murdered. He was beheaded. And Jesus gets this news. His heart breaks. Why? Because he's, he's very much human. And that was his cousin. And here's the other thing that we need to grasp, that John the Baptist, at this point, he was the only person alive who knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And now he's gone. And that's how his day started. You go, well, how, how would that relate to me? Well, think about the first thing you get up in the morning. You get a phone call and say, hey, somebody you loved very, 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 very deeply has now passed. And it wasn't by natural causes. And you're just like, oh, that's how Jesus started the day. And then he comes to find out, guys, that Herod is looking for Jesus, but he's not looking for him for a good thing. He's not going, Herod just wants to see what Jesus is about. Herod wants to get his hands on Jesus. So now he would, if you will, for the sake of our study, he's got a hit out on him. He's killed John the Baptist. Now, Jesus, who's, who's causing trouble, and he's looking for him. Well, the disciples, if you recall, had a full day of ministry. And now Jesus says, okay, listen, here's what's going on. My cousins died. I mean, Herod is looking for me. You guys have been doing ministry. We need to spend some alone time. We need, so he gathers his guys, and all he wants to do is he wants to spend some alone time with him, right? So what does he do? He says, guys, let's get in the boat. Let's get in the boat and let's go and let's head across the Sea of Galilee. But the problem is, is that the crowd is starting to follow what, wh- wh- where Jesus is going. And so Jesus, what does he do? He gets his disciples and they head across the sea into the shore of Bethsaida. He steps out of the Sea of Galilee into a sea of humanity. Can you imagine? He steps out and 10 to 15,000 people are coming towards him. That is a multitude of people. That's a lot of people. And here they come to him, right? And he's going, wow. Now talk about a wild day. It's a day filled with extreme emotions, right? He's sorrowful. He's brokenhearted. John the Baptist, are you kidding me? All the demands. And now 10 to 15, some scholars suggest 20,000 people are coming. And I love the heart of Jesus. You go, why? Well, he had every right at this point to go, guys, time out. I'm tired. You know? Hey, hit me up tomorrow. It's getting late. You know, seriously, go home. But he had every right to tell his disciples, get rid of those guys, man. Listen, there'll always be ministry, but that's not the heart of our Savior. The heart of our Savior, Mark tells us that after a full day of ministry, a full day of everything that's going on in the life of our Savior, he still ministers to them. He still teaches them. He actually feeds them. Can you imagine? 
Not only is he healing people and he's teaching them the doctrine of the kingdom of heaven, and then he says, oh, it's getting late. We better feed them. Philip, where are you, Philip? How are we going to feed them? I don't know, right? And he feeds them miraculously, guys, with what? With a little boy's lunch. A little boy's lunch. I mean, just a couple of fish and five very small loaves of bread. You and I could agree at this point, this is a bona fide miracle. Miracle. You go, why? I want you to think about this, okay? Think that you're part of the 10,000 to 15,000 people. And you've got your family and you've got your kids and you're walking, you're following Jesus and you know it's getting late and you know you're sitting here in Tiberias, but to get home is going to take you another few hours. You've got the little one who's crying, he's hungry. You realize that the disciples came, right? They came from a boat. They don't have the resources to feed all of us. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and here's what the Bible says, guys. The Bible says in John chapter 6, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and Jesus took what? He took the loaves of that little boy, held them up, he blessed them, right? He gave thanks, and then he gave them to the disciples. He took the fish, he did the same thing, and then it says this, as much as they wanted, verse 12 says, when they were filled, that means when they were full, they were full, man, they were like, oh, Right? Because we get the picture, like, like, have you ever ordered a pizza and you realized there were too many people that this pizza wasn't going to feed everybody, so you took the smaller slice? Right? You're just like, I'll just take this because I know everybody's got to give it a piece. That's not what's happening here. They're not getting just a little piece of fish and a little piece of bread going, oh, well, there's still, there's still 10 more thousand people to feed. They're eating and they're getting full and they're feeding their kids. And Jesus said, now here's the miracle that happened. They fed everybody and they were full and they're walking around going, whoo, that was good. Are you hungry? I can't eat anymore. So much so, Guys, that, that what? Notice he said, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remained so that nothing was lost. There was leftovers, 12 baskets full of leftovers. Is that not a miracle? That's a miracle, right? Well, then we notice in verse 14 and 15, it says, then those men, when they had seen the sign, now I need your help here, everybody say sign, because it's going to be important. When they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world, okay? So all of a sudden, they're thinking, ding, 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 Moses. Moses said there was going to be a prophet. This is the prophet. This is him. Now, notice what it says. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king. So now they see the sign. Everybody say sign. When they see that, they go, he's got to be our king. He's got to be our king. Now, you've got to ask yourself, Why? Why? In your mind, go back to their history, and they say, okay, here's what's going on, okay? Moses, right? Moses is our guy. He's, he's our guy, Moses, right? And, 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 when, and when Egypt was oppressing us, Moses, man, there were some miracles, there were some signs, and all of a sudden, listen, there were some hailstorms, there were some, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, and then Egypt let us go. Hey, <laughs> we got Jesus. Jesus just performed a sign. If we could get him as our king, 
then obviously I'm sure he could rain some hailstorms down on them Romans and we could be set free because right now, guys, they're under Roman oppression. There's Roman guards everywhere. So he's thinking, we need to make him his king. That's not what Jesus came for. See, that's where a lot of people missed who Jesus was. Oh, well, he's going to come in here. He's going to wipe out Rome. Israel will reign once again. Jesus is all about the eternal, right? So when the men said that they had seen the sign, everybody say that? Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand sign, right, in the original Greek is simeon, S-E-M-E-I-O-N. And here's what it means. It's an indication of a supernatural miracle. That's what it means. It's an indication. So they sat there and they said, Yup, that's a miracle. So anytime we see a sign, like remember he said, and they seen the sign that Jesus did, you can just insert miracle, supernatural miracle. There's no way, there's no other explanation. There's no other explanation. They said, yep, it's a supernatural miracle. It has to be a miracle. That's what they see. Then last week, Okay, so he feeds the crowd. They're going, that's a supernatural miracle. That's a sign. Last week we saw and we learned how to have peace in the storm. Do you guys remember? Jesus says, okay, guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go up to the mountain. And he goes up to the mountain and he kind of sees the crowd just, just kind of leaving. And he sees his disciples get in a boat, right? And then a fierce storm comes out of nowhere, Right, And Jesus is watching them. And Jesus doesn't go down to help them right away. He sees them, right? And here's what the Bible says. It says they're rowing and they're toiling and they're rowing. And it says for about about three to four miles. Now, I've been on the Sea of Galilee, okay? Now, and I'm thinking with the wind and the rain and all of that, they're probably rowing, but they're probably going sideways just as well. And they're just like, now, here's what I want you to think, okay? Jesus is watching all of this. And, and here's what they're thinking. Now, I'm, I'm just going, what, what's going on here? Well, they're trying to get to Capernaum. They can't get there. A storm comes out of nowhere. And they're just, and they're just tired. And this storm, well, right in the middle of the storm, right in the middle where they probably, now, now listen, think about this. What would happen if they would just give up? The, the wind and the rain and the waves, they're going to take them to somewhere they probably don't want to go. Now, you need to understand that this is a freshwater lake, but it's so big, it looks like a sea. And so they have to keep rowing, and they're rowing. Come on, Peter. Come on, dude. Come on. Don't give up. We've only been at this for a while. Come on. And, 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 and I don't understand this. And just then, in the midst of the storm, which brings so much peace to my heart. Why? Because, guys, when I'm in the middle of the storm, I know Jesus is there. You don't understand. I need that. Well, in the middle of the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water. And the Bible says they were afraid, and I think I would be as well. I mean, I've seen a lot of things in life, but I've never seen a man walk on water. You go, Pastor, that's because Jesus is not just a man. He's God. And he comes walking on the water, and I'm like, I, I, just put yourself in the boat. There you are, and you're watching, and you're working as hard as you can, and you're just like, listen, I just want to get home. And you see this man walking on the water. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm afraid too. I'm like, whoa, right? Some of them said, it's a ghost. And I'd be like, I mean, like, what is going on? Now, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. As fishermen, they've probably seen all kinds of things in that sea, don't you think? 
They've seen storms come up. They've walked. They've, they've weathered storms. But they've never seen a man come walking on the water. They've never seen it. And all of a sudden we know in, in Matthew that what? That Peter gets out of the boat, right? And he starts walking for a short time. But let me give you a couple of miracles. Okay, number one, Jesus is walking on the water. That's a miracle. To the disciples, I'm thinking, why do we have to row three or four miles? Why didn't you come and save us right away? Why was that, church? Because he often wants us to exercise our spiritual muscles. He won't save us right away. He says, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. And the second thing is the miracle that we don't, that we miss sometimes. Well, it's not Peter so much, you know, walking on the water, although Peter walked on the water for a little while. It's just that it says immediately they were in Capernaum. So I was like, was that a speedboat? I mean, how did that happen? Immediately they were at the shore. Now, listen, this was another miracle. Here's the lessons we need to learn. You ready? The miracles that Jesus, I mean, the turning the water into wine, the healing of, of, of people. I mean, you guys know all, all, all of John so far. They're designed to demonstrate one thing. And you go, what's that? That Jesus would be with them under all circumstances, whether they were hungry and in need or they were in the midst of the storm. Jesus says, these are designed so you would put your faith and trust in me. The purpose, you guys ready? The purpose of the miracles or the signs was to build their faith and strengthen their spiritual mind. That's the whole purpose. Okay, I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. Here's why. When it comes to miracles, we have two choices. Number one, we can simply believe and go, okay, that's going to build my faith and I'm going to use my spiritual muscles. Or we can write them off and then just, just kind of go, no, I don't believe that. That must have been circumstances. You go, what do you mean? There's a group of people who said that Jesus really didn't walk on the water. You see, in the midst of the storm, they were so close to the shore that he was so close to the shore that he was walking next to the shore and there was only a couple of inches of water. It only looked like he was walking on water. And then they were at the shore. And you see, that doesn't, that doesn't build your faith or strengthen your spiritual muscles. That's where a lot of people will often do that with signs and miracles. You and I know the purpose that John wrote this, the snapshots, is that you and I would believe that Jesus is the Christ. So the miracles we're seeing as we walk with him in each chapter, in each verse, is so that we could what? That we would believe, that we would really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life in his name. So the first 21 verses of chapter 6 brings us real-life bona fide miracles slash signs from God. That's what they do. We go, wow, these are miracles. Now, here's what I want you to listen to, okay? I found a great quote concerning the passage we're about to cover this morning. Now, listen to this quote, okay? Miracles bring awareness that God is real and near to us. And you go, amen, that's true. Miracles do that. I, I got this. I get it. But here's what I want you to listen to. But along with that awareness is a danger of seeking the Lord, not for who he is, but for what he does. Some people only seek him because they want 
what he can give them. Did you hear me, church? There's a danger. With that awareness of miracles, there's a danger that seeking the Lord, not for who he is, but for what he does. You see, today in our study, church, we see that Jesus wanted people to know the one true miracle. You go, wait, 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 you said miracle a lot. What are you talking about? He gave us several signs. Everybody say signs. He gave us signs so that we could believe. We could believe in who Jesus is. But what he really wants to get to is the heart of the issue and give us the one true miracle, which is the one true miracle, guys, is that he wanted people to understand that they could be eternally saved by simply believing in him. Here's my thought, guys. Every one of us in this room is going to live forever. I don't know if you understand that. We've all been given eternal life. Where we spend it is up to us. You can spend it with Jesus in heaven with your loved ones who have gone before, or you can spend it apart from Jesus, but it is, make no mistake, eternal. Somehow we get in our mind, well, I'll only be there for a while, and then I'll get out, and it's eternal. And so the choices we make here are very important. And so I'm calling this message today, be careful what you think you know. Be careful what you think you know. For today, guys, we discover that Jesus teaches us what belief really is. The signs performed that he does simply ushered us into the reality of Jesus as the Messiah, the one true Savior. And so we must be careful what we think we know and learn from Jesus as he teaches us the following lesson. So picking it up in verse 22, it says this, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there were no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, well, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Don't you love the way John writes? He's like, now listen, it was the next day and there were people standing there and they realized there was only one boat. He, they saw the disciples get in the boat. Here's what they also observed. Jesus didn't get in that boat and there was only one boat. And as they're standing there, other boats came and they're going, well, we know that Jesus didn't go in the boat. So where's Jesus? So they got on boats and they tried to find where Jesus was. Now, here... Here's what we learn. We learn that Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum. You guys with me? The people begin to follow him. Now, I got to be honest with you. Look at verse 24 with me. And we should rejoice. And you go, why, Pastor? Here's why. Because the Bible says that they came seeking Jesus. Do you see that? They came looking for Jesus. And I would be like, yes, here's the problem. The problem is, guys... Unfortunately, their motivation for seeking Jesus was way off. They had the wrong motivation. You go, what do you mean? Guys, here's a couple of things I want you to see. The Bible says, John says, the next day. So we know that over here, the night before, Jesus filled their bellies, right? He fed them for dinner. Guess what time it is? 
it's breakfast time. And so they're going, it's breakfast. I'm hungry. So they try to find where Jesus is. Now, we would be excited for our friends to seek Jesus. The problem is, and I got to be honest with you, there are so many people who follow Jesus who call themselves Christians, but they have the wrong motivation. They're following him. These people right here, guys, they're following to fill their bellies, not their souls. They are not interested in who he is. They're interested in a free meal. The dinner was done, and now it's time for breakfast. So let's get over to where Jesus is. Because if he fed us for dinner, he definitely should feed us for breakfast. Guys, it's this point in our Bible studies that we need to stop and ask a very serious question. And you go, what's that? Well, church, listen, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. What's our motivation for following Jesus? Ask yourself, why do I follow Jesus? Why am I a believer? Why am I a Christian? Why am I here on Sunday morning? What's my motivation? See, motivation is key. Why do I come to church? Why do I serve? Why do I give? What's my motivation? The passage, guys, that we look at, I mean, it really, it digs deep in our heart and brings out the why we do what we do. Our hearts will easily give us away in motivation as we walk with Jesus. You see, there are times in our culture and churches that we're taught that we follow Jesus because he's going to bless us. And that's the whole point. And you'll get some bad doctrine out there that said, listen, if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You're going to have everything you've ever wanted. You're going to have money in the bank. Trust me, you are the head and not the tail. And that's just false doctrine. Because people will begin to follow Jesus, not for who he is, but for what they can get. You go, what do you mean? There are people who say, I am a Christian because Jesus, I want his stuff. I want his stuff. I'm not too interested in who he is. I want, I want the blessings. Now, let me say this. God often blesses us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And we, and we get blessings. Like, like, listen, I mean, count your blessings. If you've eaten, you're blessed. If you've got clothes, you're blessed. I mean, just think about that. If you've got some money in a bank account, you are blessed. Because according to world standards, I mean, a lot of people don't have that. If, and I think pretty much, I think all of us slept in a bed last night. If we slept in a bed last night, we are super blessed. Here's the problem. The, the people here are showing us a little bit of, of a little bit of their heart. Guys, they're not they're not following Jesus because, because they love him. They're following him because they want another meal. Our motivation is crazy, is it not? And I think of, and we have to ask ourselves, we have to, let's be honest. Why am I following you, Lord? Why? I think a lot of people, and, and I did this at 17, a lot of people follow Jesus because they're afraid of hell. Do you want to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. Well, pray this prayer and follow Jesus. Okay. 
Well, thank God that I worked through a lot of that and came to the place where I follow Jesus because I love Jesus, but not because I'm afraid. And see, what would be my motivation? Well, my motivation would try to be good because I don't want to go to hell. Well, how good do you have to be? How good do you have to be? Well, well, who's the standard? Are you the standard? Who's the standard? Well, if it's God's standard, I'm not going to meet that standard. I don't care how good you are. What's the motivation? Okay. Okay, so Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. What if Jesus never provided another meal for the crowd? Are there people still going to follow him? Oh, Pastor, I don't think he does. And, and you know what the Bible says? In verse 66, it says, and from this point, many people walked away and, and followed him no more. This is huge, guys. Why? The motivation is wrong. Motivation will make us do crazy things, won't it? I read a story I thought was cute. Uh, story reminds me on, on motivation. Let me just read it to you. It's very interesting. It goes like this. Just before giving a lavish party at his estate, a tycoon had his swimming pool filled with poisonous snakes. He called all of his guests together and he announced, To anyone brave enough to swim across this pool, I will give you the choice of a thousand acres of my oil field, 10,000 head of cattle, or my daughter's hand in marriage. No sooner were his words spoken than a young man plunged into the water, swam across the pool, and climbed out unscathed and breathless. Congratulations, the tycoon greeted him. Do you want my oil fields? He said, no, grasped the guests. Well, how about 10,000 head of cattle? No, the young man shouted. Well, how about my daughter's hand in marriage? No, no, no. Well, you must want something, said the puzzled host. He says, I just want to know the name of the guy who pushed me in. (laughs) Is that motivation? That's motivation, is it not? Look at verse 25 with me. And when they found him, now we know they have the wrong motivation, and when they found him, they came to the other side of the sea, and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I love that. What, 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 what are you doing here? Are you serious? Now, here's what I love about Jesus, okay? I love that Jesus does not even entertain their question. He doesn't even address it. I mean, Jesus could easily said, well, let me tell you the story. After you guys wanted, wanted me to be king, I said, no, I can't, I, I can wait to be king. And I went up to the mountain and I walked on water. I mean, it was just crazy, but now I'm here. He didn't even entertain him, right? Why? Because he knows their hearts. What are their hearts? Notice what he says. He says, and Jesus answered them. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs. Everybody say signs but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You go, what did, what did he say? Well, here's the thing, guys. Jesus could read the motives of these people's heart, and he tells them plainly. He says, y'all, because that's where we are. He says, y'all didn't, he says, you didn't come because you understood the signs that I did and, how, and what I performed and how these miracles predicted in the Old Testament to identify me as the Messiah. He says, y'all didn't do that. He said, you basically came because you were looking for another free meal. That's what Jesus tells them. 
Jesus, when did you come here? Really? Do you want me to, do you want me to just, do you want to do this, Ben? Do you want to do this? Do you, do, you, do you want me to share in front of the crowd the motivation of your heart? No, I'm good, Lord. I'm good. So what does Jesus do? Jesus lovingly addresses the crowd. Look at verse 27. He tells the crowd, do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because, notice, God the Father has set his seal in him. You know what he tells the crowd? He says, guys, you guys are working hard, but you're working hard for food that's perishing. He says, but the food which endures to everlasting life, that's what you need to work for. That's what you need to work for. Now, Here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not telling you, y'all quit your job and all of us become missionaries. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we all have to work. He says, but be careful that you don't work so much and it's all going to burn in the end. It's all, it's all, it's all going to, listen, you're working for stuff and, and it's going to, here's what you should do. As believers and followers of Jesus, guys, you should work hard, which endures everlasting life. You should put your spiritual life far above anything else. Far above anything else. And you go, why? Well, notice what Jesus said. He says, the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. If you're taking note, the word seal there, it was a mark of what? His ownership in authenticity. But Jesus is telling the crowd, he says, I'm the real deal, guys. I'm the promised Messiah. You missed it because you're looking for food. Don't look for food. Look at the signs because they point to me as your Savior. Whoa. So guess what the crowd does? Look at verse 28. They react by asking a question. Then they said to Jesus, what shall we do? Everybody say do. Let's try that again. Everybody say do. Good. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, here's what I believe. Did you see? Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the issue, and they automatically respond like, what do I have to do? I have to do something. I need to do something, Lord. I believe, I believe they're missing the point because, because they ask, what must we do? Now, let me just be honest, okay? We've been taught in our culture that we need to do something in order to please God. You need to do something. If you really want to please God, you need to do. Like what, Pastor? Well, in our culture, we say that if you really want to please God, you must go to church. You need to go to church. God likes it when you go to church. Now, let me just say this, okay? I am so glad that y'all are here. But let me say this. Attending church does not guarantee you a place in heaven. But the Bible clearly says in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, he says, let us, not, let us not give up the habit of meeting together, some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see the day of the Lord coming near. What is he saying? The writer of Hebrews says, guys, we need to keep coming to church. Why? Because we need to encourage each other. Some of us have come in to church today and we're broken and we're broken hearted and, and somebody in here has a special gift and just smiles at you and talks to you and you're encouraged. You're encouraged. 
Somebody will come up to you and say, how are you doing, sister? How are you? Oh, I'm not doing good. Let me pray for you. And they're encouraged. And that's the whole point. We come to church, this building we call Calvary Chapel, but God is giving every one of us a gift, and he wants to use these gifts for everyone in the body. Let me let you on a little secret. You ready? I know this is going to be a shocker to you, okay? But I don't have all the gifts. You don't? No, God doesn't give the pastor all the gifts. You know what he does? He gives him a couple of gifts. And he says, and I'm going to bring a bunch of people together with the gifts because everybody should be ministering to everyone. Wow. Wow. What's the second thing about church? The second thing about church, guys, is that, is that you come in here, you get equipped in the teaching of the word of God so that you can go out there and you can be a minister. You can be a minister. You can share with your coworkers. You know those ones that say, I'm not going into church. If I went to church, it'll burn down. I No, you, you just share with them because you've been equipped. You go, well, what else, pastor? Well, here's some things that we think we need to do. We must pray and we must give. Now, those are good things, but they're not essential in salvation. Well, what else? Oh, we must help the poor. We must serve the Lord and we must read the Bible, right? Those are some do's. Now, here are some things that we... We even say that we must not do in order to please God. Like there are some things that we need to, that we say that we must do, do. And then there's some things that we say that we must not do. You go, what's that? Well, you, you've heard it said, right? If you want to please God, you must not drink alcohol. Don't be a drunkard. You can't drink. If you're a you don't drink. What else? Well, don't cuss. Make sure you don't cuss. And if you're going to cuss, use Christian cuss words. Don't swear. Definitely don't lie and don't cheat. Well, y'all get my point, right? That's what, that's what culture has told us. But I want to know what Jesus says. What, what is, listen, if I'm going to do something for God, I want to know what it is. And so Jesus answers them in verse 29 and he says this. This is the work of God. You ready? What do I have to do, Jesus? He goes, you don't have to do anything. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe in him whom he sent. Whoa, time out. I don't have to do anything? No, you have to believe. Of course I believe. I believe. No, 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 no. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Dig a little bit deeper, church. Remember the word believe, okay, is made up by three Greek words. The first word is pitho, okay? It's the primary verb, and it has, so it's an action word, and it means to convinced or be convinced. So the first thing I need to do to do the work of God is to be convinced in who Jesus is. Okay. What's the second word? The second word that this word is made up is pistis, it's P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means to be persuaded. So I need to be convinced and I need to be persuaded. Well, what's the third word? It's pisteio, right? P-I-S-T-E-U-O, and it means to have faith. So these three words make up one. And you go, Pastor, what, what are you saying? Listen, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to do the work of God, just be convinced in who he is, be persuaded in your faith, and have faith in who he is. That's what the word believe means. You see, it's so much more than go, I believe, I believe that, you know, he says, this is the work of God, that y'all believe in me. Believe. 
And that's the real question, guys. Do you believe? Are you convinced? Are you persuaded? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Put your faith in Jesus. Here's just a side note, guys. John uses this word more than anyone in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in this gospel alone, if you have a place to write, John uses the word believe 98 times. You think he's trying to get a point? He wants us to believe. He doesn't want us just to kind of go, oh, I believe. I believe that there, I mean, I believe there's oxygen. Watch. It's more than that. It's more than that. Now, I don't want you to miss this, right? Because you go, oh, that's it. I don't have to come to church. See you later. I don't have to give. I don't have to serve. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do No, no, no. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Those are good stuff, but here's what I want you to see. Jot this down. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Guess what? If you look up that word faith, it's the same word as believe. It's actually made up of two Greek words, and the same one is persuaded and convinced. This is exactly what John is saying. He's saying to us, for by grace y'all have been saved. I don't know why I'm saying y'all a lot. For by grace you have been saved through persuaded and convinced, and that's your faith. Not that of, not, notice, not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He says, verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me tell you this, there's nobody in heaven right now going, I'm here because I did, I did, I did, I did, or I did this, or I gave here. There's nobody in heaven boasting about what they did. You can be the greatest humanitarian that ever lived and you still can't get to heaven and boast. There's, why? He says, he says, listen, you're saved by what? Faith, by belief. It's a gift. It's not of works. Okay, so I don't have to work. Oh, verse 10. See, we are, we are what? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, that's the belief, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. You go, you ready? This is, gonna, this is mind-blowing. This is earth-shattering, game-changing. Write this down. Good works come as a result of believing in Jesus and obeying his word. Good works come as a result of you being convinced, persuaded, and your faith. That's where the work's coming. That's where the work's coming. Well, how would the crowd respond? Well, look at verse 30. Therefore he said, notice, therefore they said, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate man in the desert, that is, is written, and he gave him bread from heaven to eat. Now, are you guys shaking your head like me? You go, what do you mean? This was the same crowd that just saw the miracle yesterday. And so, I mean, they just saw a bona fide miracle. The same crowd. They raise it. Would you be the one raising your hand? Yes, sir. Are you going to show us a miracle? It'd be like. <laughs> These were the same people that saw a miracle, and now they're asking, yeah, but, but, but look at their heart. I want you to see their heart, see the motivation. Okay? Where are their hearts? Think about it. What are they trying to do right now? They're trying to get a free meal from Jesus. You go, what do you mean? Well, they're trying to get a free meal 
for the rest of their lives. You go, how so? Look at verse 31 again. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. You guys know about that, right? Manna, you know what it is? It's called, manna is basically, what is it? And they made all kinds of good stuff with manna. They made manna kari, you know, manna, manna banana bread, I don't know. You won't remember anything from my message except manicotti. Shame on you. You go, how do you know that? Look at verse 31. They employ, notice what they employ. They employ that their ancestors ate manna for 40 years. And here's what they're saying. Jesus, you only provided one dinner. You see their heart? You see the motivation of their heart? Now, Listen, if I'm with Jesus and I'm one of his disciples, I'm like, hey, Jesus, let's just go. These these cats ain't getting it, man. Come on. You know, Peter's mother-in-law's got some food. Let's come on. He doesn't do that. Look at Jesus' heart. Look at Jesus' heart. Verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. So number one, you got that wrong. And they're like, he says, but my father gave you. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. What true bread? For the bread of God, right? He comes down from heaven and he gives life to the world. So so he says to us, guys, he says, most assuredly, he says, amen, I say to you, you got to get this right. Notice verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Of course, she's like, it's like the woman at the well who said, give me the water so I'm never thirsty. Give us this bread. Now, when Jesus starts talking about other bread than, than physical bread, of course, they go, Lord, give us some. We want that. Why? <sighs> because I don't want to go hungry again. Listen, if, if, listen, Jesus, you're like, you're better than Moses. Is that what I hear you saying, Jesus? You're better than Moses. Okay, so like, if, if Moses, well, it wasn't really Moses, I get it, but, but if he provided 40 years, then listen, we should never have to, uh, we should never be hungry again. And Jesus is going, you're missing it, guys. You're missing it. Why? Because Jesus looked at him. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Here's the problem. Verse 36, he says, but I say to you that you guys have seen me. You've seen the miracles. And he says, you're not, and you don't believe. You're still not persuaded. You're still not convinced. If you're taking note, guys, this is the first of the I am statements. We'll see seven of them in the Bible. This is the first time he says, I am the bread of life. And so what Jesus Jesus is basically telling me, he goes, guys, you're missing it. He says, but I'm the one who satisfies. I'm the one who sustains you. I'm the one. Jesus tells the crowd plainly in verse 35, you need to partake in me. You need to have a relationship with me. And he uses two simple things that everyone can understand, hunger and thirst. He who comes to me will never be hungry again. Is he talking physically, church? No, he's talking spiritually, right? He who thirsts, right? He who believes in me will never thirst. I believe in Jesus, but I get hungry and I get thirsty. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the satisfaction in your life. Are you satisfied? And then he does something, guys, and and I'll get you out of here in a minute. Trust me. Verse 37 is key. You want to pay attention. This is so key. 
Okay, Jesus does something that just blows holes. And I mean, if we grasp it, it's going to change our tomorrow. You go, what do you mean? Look at verse 37. This is super. He says, all that the father gives me. Okay, now he's talking eternal life. He's talking people will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Everybody see verse 37. This is key. You go, why? Because here's what he's doing. This, this verse gives us two perspectives of salvation. It gives us the divine perspective and the human perspective. And it all has to do with choice. Note with me, God has chosen you, but you must choose him. Everybody see that? God has chosen you, but you must choose him. Both truths are in this section. God must choose you, but then you must choose him. So what's the the first perspective? The first perspective is known as divine election or predestination. Maybe you've heard that before. Predestination, right? You go, what does that mean? God knows in advance who will choose him. But he also invites you to eat of the bread of life. That's why every Sunday I stand here and I'll give an invitation and people go, nobody raised their hand, nobody got saved. That's okay, because God knows who's going to be his. You know what my job is to do? Invite. God already knows that if you're going to respond to his invitation, God knows that. Here's what my job is to do. My job is to go, hey, anybody want to come to eat? Jesus said he's the bread of life. How many of you want to come to eat? Right? And here's the point. There comes a time, listen to me, in your life where you need to sit down at the table, pick up the fork and eat. It's your choice. Now understand these truths are not contradictory to each other. They are compatible truths, right? Now, write this down. We call them truth held in tension. Truth held in tension. It's like a suspension bridge. You guys ever, like the Golden Gate Bridge, right? A suspension bridge? In order for it to stay in place, there has to be tension on it. It's exactly what's going on here. In one verse, Jesus gives us divine election, God's choice, and human responsibility, volition, or our free will. The scriptures, again, think about it, right? They present a definite truth. God sovereignly elects, yet man is given the responsibility to respond, okay? Look at it one more time. All the Father gives me will come to me. That's divine election. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's our responsibility, okay? Now, we're going to close with these verses, but let me illustrate it. Real quick, let me illustrate it. Let's say that Patricia says, I'm cooking lunch today, Pastor Ben, and I am going all out. I have this great spread. Can you please come over at 1.30? I'd love to cook lunch and, and fellowship with you, Ben. And Now, now here's the predestination, okay? Patricia's going to cook lunch whether I come or not. She's already predestined to cook lunch and what she's already predestined what she's going to make. I, on the other hand, know that that's already going to happen. My choice is to show up and eat. The predestination, Patricia goes, hey, I'm making lunch. I still have that choice to go, I'm not going. I'm not going. 
that doesn't negate the predestination that the predestined that she's already cooking lunch. My responsibility is I'm going to go and I still have a responsibility to pick up the fork and the spoon and eat lunch. That's my choice. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's the divine. Listen, here's the crowd. Here's the crowd. And they're looking for a free meal and they're trying to get every which way with Jesus. And Jesus goes, look, my father knows who's going to be his, but you still have a choice. What was the choice? Well, he finishes off with these final verses. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me that all he has given me that I should not lose, that I should lose nothing, but I sh- but should be raised up in the last day. In verse 40, he finishes off. He says, this is the will of him who sent me. You ready? That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Guys, it's all about belief. It's all about belief. You see, it's not about you going, hey, I prayed a prayer, and I'm saved. I prayed a prayer. No, 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 it's more than a prayer. See, words alone aren't sufficient to save. Salvation is the belief, the, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, I'm putting everything, all my faith and trust in who Jesus is. And that's where I'm going to live the rest of my life. You see, many people have come forward and stood here and they've prayed a prayer and, 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 and it breaks my heart because I, they may not be saved. Well, how do you know? Well, they just prayed a prayer. But what, what, what Jesus is saying is, have you, do you really believe? Because he knows if you're going to Raise your hand today. He knows if you're going to surrender. But he still gives you the choice. He still gives you the choice. And that's why I stand here and I say, listen, if you're here today, and uh, man, you're far from Jesus, and you've never believed in him, you've never put your faith in trust, and today's the day. And that's the choice where you go, yes, I want to. And you pray that prayer and you say, God, I believe. I am convinced. I am persuaded. And I put my faith and trust in you, that you are the Son of God. Come into my heart and save me. That's when Jesus does a work. Many of you have done that. But maybe you're here today and you go, I've never done that. I've never. I, I, I still struggle in my belief. Listen, I'm a Christian because... I was brought up in Texas. Listen, I'm a Christian because my mom dragged me to church all my life. Listen, I'm a Christian because I've never really made a commitment for myself. But after what you said today, Pastor, I feel like I really need to jump into, I need to, I need to surrender once and for all. I need to be real with God. My choice. My choice. I need to believe. And it's only a work of the Spirit. So if you're here today and, and your Spirit, the Spirit is moving in your heart, and you go, I, I, I've just got to get straight with God. That's a good thing. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity real quick. This is your time, okay? Let's, try to, let's just try to pray. Let's, try to, let's just listen to the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you when we bow our heads and we trust you. And Lord, my job is to give an invitation because, because you've, already, you've already chosen who's going to be yours. 
and your spirit is already working in this teaching, you've already revealed our motivation for following you, and so now you want to solidify that you're calling us home. And we thank you for that, Jesus. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I have a relationship with you. You were saying some stuff and you were talking about belief and I've never heard it like that. But today I want to believe. I want to be convinced, persuaded, and I put my faith and trust. And I need you to pray for me, Pastor. If you're here today and, and you want to surrender completely to Jesus once and for all and watch him do a work in your life, will you just raise your hand right now? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus. I want to believe. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. All you have to do is lift up your hand. Do it right now. I'm just going to pray for you real quick. If you're not in a right relationship with God, the God that created you, just lift up your hand and and I'll pray for you. No one has to see. This is between you and God. Just lift up your hand so I can see it. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we believe in you. I thank you that we've given our lives to you. And I thank you, God, for John's gospel. I've grown just by watching your heart. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.